0: So take your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 19, Luke 19, so glad you guys are here again studying with us this morning. If you're new or visiting or uh, tuning in online, uh, what we do is we study through the Bible verse by verse, book by book. We found ourselves in the beginning of Luke chapter 1 on November 26th, what's today? November 25th, okay, 2016, so we began Luke 1 in 2016 on this very Sunday, two years ago, and so we are cruising along, and now (laughs) it's, it's, it's it's a pace, we're at a pace, okay, call it what you want, but Luke 19, and last week we found ourselves learning from Jesus, he's at the last week of his life. And if you can imagine living your life until age 33 and then dying for the sins of the world, you've been pretty serious about your purpose. You know why you exist. And so here with a week left, Jesus isn't necessarily choosing his words recklessly, but precisely. And he's looking at his disciples. Remember, he's got friends, he's got fans, and he's got foes. He's even got some followers. He's got them all, and he addresses them. And last week, we learned that he gave to them the parable of the minas, Remember the parable of the minas was of a king who goes away to establish a kingdom, and in his stead, while he's gone, he gives to each person one mina. They each got the exact same amount. It equaled about 10 grand. And then when he came back, he quizzed them. What would you do with my mina? And the one guy said, I took your 10 grand and turned it into 100 grand. It was crazy. And he told the other guy, I took your 10 grand and turned it into 50 grand. It was crazy. There's a 500% increase, and vice versa. And there was the last guy. He said, well, I didn't really know what to do, and I was afraid, and he spiritualized it you're an austere man and i just so i didn't do anything with my life and he said that's not the goal give me your mina we're going to give it to the people who are doing stuff and he gave it to the guy with 10 so here's the big idea that you need to understand jesus is that king and he does have a kingdom and one day he will be returning to set up his rule and reign upon the earth with his people forever and ever and until that day He's gone away, and he's entrusted us, his servants, to listen to what he said, do business till I come. And he had a very Italian accent at the key. do business. And he left. This is seen throughout the scriptures. This is a parable of the minas. He tells a story. And then when Jesus ascends in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he leaves, and he tells them to do business in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. He says you'll receive the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the gift, the mina, the power to do your life. I love what Mike Dean there, Mike Dean has a concrete business here in town, and and Mike Dean said there in the video that everyone kind of wonders at one point, what in the heck am I doing here? Am I even doing it right? And I'm so thankful to have the kingdom of God written upon my heart. I'm not perfect, nor are you, but at least I know what's really going on. I can stop at any time and zoom out and be like, all right, Genesis to Revelation, the grand meta narrative of life that there is a king, Jesus, and a kingdom, And there are people in his kingdom. And he's given to us in his stead power to do business. That's what he's doing. And he's going to return one day. You'll remember in that story, he added one caveat. I think it was verse 14 last week. He said, but there are some who don't get any minus. But instead, they hate me. And they don't look for my return. And they are against me. And when I return, they will say, we will not have this man rule over us. And in the final verse, this is where we're going to begin today. Read it with me, verse 27. He says, but bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, And my Bible says, and slay them before me. I believe the ESV says something along the lines of, and destroy them or slaughter them. Like, whoa, that's kingdom talk. That's hardcore And this is something that we as believers need to understand, again, holistically, not just in one isolated verse where people want to pin God down as being evil in this way. But instead, this is the coin that has the side of truth, that there are people right now, and I pray you're not one of them, there are people right now that could take or leave this idea of the kingdom. I don't even need it. I don't like it. I don't want it. I don't want this man to rule over me. And when the king returns to those people, after a long time of love and labor and gifting, after he's given to them many gifts and they have stiff-armed him, he will be forced to do what you would be forced to do if you were indeed a king and you showed up and your people and your kingdom kicked at you and pretended you did not exist and erased you from their society. You'd be forced to put them off to the side. But that's the truth side. The grace side, though, is that Jesus doesn't just do that right away. How many of you guys ever had a bad day and you're just ready to fire everybody? You ever do that? Fire your husband, fire your wife, fire your kids. We're all fired. Everyone's fired. You know, it's like Jesus here has every right and authority to do that, but he doesn't. He is indeed the king. And instead, look at the next verse verse 27 bring them here and slay them. It's a parable of what is going to happen. I just need to tell you the truth. Verse 28 says this, though. When he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Now, for you who don't know, that's not a big deal. For you who are in the know, that's a big deal. We're in Luke 19. In Luke 9, 51, many, many chapters and stories ago, it was determined that Jesus was to be delivered and go to Jerusalem and die as a sacrifice. And everything from Luke 9:51, Jesus psh, set his face to the cross in order to sacrifice himself. When he went to go up to Jerusalem, it was the other side of the coin. On one side is truth. It's the truth. The truth. God is coming. He's a king. If you're not part of his kingdom, you won't be part of his kingdom. It's pretty black and white. But on the grace side, Jesus says, guess what? I'm going to make provision for every single person to be part of my kingdom. I'm going to go to the cross. I will do my part, and I will give the truth, but I will also pay for the sins of humanity. see, Jesus had just commanded them to do business, to be responsible, to be effective, to be intentional, do stuff. That's what I hear when it says do business. And in the very next verse, verse 28, it says Jesus then rose up to go to Jerusalem to do business. You know what I like about this? Jesus here exemplifies for you and for me that he not only teaches stuff, but he models it. How many parents out there try to teach something and model the opposite? And your kids will call you out so fast. (laughs) Yeah, you said we couldn't do that, and you're doing it. It's because I'm an adult, as you drink eggnog from the, you know, thing. (laughs) I'll tell you what. Jesus is the master teacher. He teaches it and models it. No other guru, teacher, leader, cult follower. Nobody will tell you what to do and then do it themselves like Jesus Christ. He asks you and I to do business, to serve, to make our lives count. Unless we have an excuse right now, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. He says, I'll I'll show you how it's done. I will give the ultimate sacrifice for you so that way you will be impacted and inspired to not waste your life, but instead to invest it. The king that we serve does this. Jesus models it for us. Now, again, I need to remind you that if you're not for the Lord, you're against the Lord. That's just the way it is. That if you aren't on his team, you're on the opposite team. I've talked to people over the years, and they say something crazy to me when God comes up, and they don't love God. They say, I don't have a problem with God. I don't have a problem with God. And I say, time time out. Do, Do you think maybe, though, he might have a problem with you? You might not have a problem with him. I don't care about God. He doesn't bother me. If you want to be a Christian, that's fine with you. I don't have any problem with God. I'm at peace with God. And I just say, well, what makes him at peace with you? Because the Bible says this in Romans chapter 5. It says that before we're Christians, the Bible says that we're actually enemies of God. It's kind of a big word. Like, I don't have a lot of enemies. I've got a few, but it's kind of one of those things like, wow, man, an enemy. That's not cool. The Bible says in Romans 8.10 that if we are not Christians, that we are at enmity with God. That's even more hardcore. Enmity means the state of feeling of being actively opposed or hostile to something or someone. Now, again, how many secular believers do you know that are not in their own mind actively hostile towards God? And yet, can you imagine creating something for another person to enjoy And then you arriving to that something where that person enjoying what you've created pretends you don't exist and that you didn't make it, and they write you off of the story. Imagine showing up to your own home one day, and your family's forgotten you. And imagine walking in and saying, no, no, this, I, no, 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 there's proof. And you pull out the photo album, and there's no photos of you. They've been Photoshopped out. And the whole culture and society, think about what our culture's done, by and large, in our schools, our government, our, our society. We've made up crazy ideas that disengage us from our creator. And when God is, when, and you might talk to somebody, or you might even be here this morning visiting, saying, look, I'm an agnostic, or I'm an atheist, or I just don't know, but I'm, I'm not against God by very nature. By not being for him, you are against him. You're his enemy. You're at enmity. And the Bible says in Colossians 121, the most devastating, that we are alienated from God. That's the truth. We've done this to him. And I say that to say this, he stays the course. In this portion, this portion of scripture is called the triumphal entry. In your Bible, it's taught in Matthew, it's taught in Mark, it's taught in Luke, and it's taught in John. The triumphal entry where Jesus makes it to Jerusalem for the sole purpose of dying for his kingdom and for his people. And listen, this is crazy, and dying for his enemies. And dying for those who were at enmity with him. And dying for those who were alienated from him. The Bible says that a good man may possibly give his life for a friend. <laughs> you know, you're a good man. You might die for a buddy, maybe. But can you imagine laying down your life for your enemies? And I need you to understand that the coin, truth and grace, intention. Jesus is not... I can say it this way and I could be wrong and I will be corrected but he's not excited to slaughter his enemies. Okay? Much like you would not be excited to, to put down a family dog that had contracted rabies and had lost its mind and was now attacking your children. This would be the hardest thing you would have to do as this family had lost its mind and come against you. That's why Jesus hasn't returned yet. That's why we still, that's why SBC exists. That's why we partner with so many organizations and feed as many people as we can because we believe that Jesus is wooing his creation back to him. The Bible says the sun rises and sets upon the wicked and the good. He does the same for everybody so that way people would see him. His heart is for others. It's so important that we see this. Otherwise, we'll be like the disciples in just a few short days. Simon Peter will pull out of his robe a knife and try and cut the head off of Malchus, one of the enemies of Jesus. And Jesus will say, that's not what we're doing, bro. (laughs) That's not time for that. Earlier in the story, James and John wanted to smoke the whole entire city of Samaria because they wouldn't rent a Motel 6 room to the disciples. And Jesus says, you don't know what spirit you're of. Like, we're not, that's not happening. This is my family. Wouldn't that be crazy if you looked at non-believers and antagonists and attackers and haters you're allowed to by the way as family that has been plagued or gone astray you're actually allowed as a christian to be benevolent kind and generous towards your enemies it's crazy you and your cognitive thinking think that's irresponsible i can't be kind to that person they haven't been kind to me remember that one time that guy spit on my car <laughs> i was i was nice to him this morning i went i asked him it was hard but i said how you doing, bro?" Baby steps, baby steps for me. (laughs) We're going to be best friends one day. It's going to be so sick. It's going to be sick. (sighs) I'm learning, I'm learning. Jesus, he, he pursues us, and he pursues family. You wouldn't just lash out at your family. Instead, you would do everything. I'm so thankful. Sometimes people get impatient with the the timing of God and why are we still here and what's going on and and all of that. And I tell you what, I, I for one am thankful for God's patience with our world. And he is promising that he's not finished with what he's done, but instead he will complete the work that he began. So look at verse 28 again. It says, then when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem And the Bible says that that would happen for a couple different reasons, okay? Number one, again, Luke 9, 51 told us that that would be where he was going, and he's fulfilling scripture, and he's fulfilling our sacrifice. Did you know all of the Bible points to a great rescue? All of it. All four gospels point to this kingdom coming, and this is that day where Jesus makes it all happen to Jerusalem. It says in verse 29 that it came to pass when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet that he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you, whereas you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. In some of your translations, it says, these are not the drones you're looking for. (laughs) Maybe not. Verse 32. So those who were sent went their way, found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said, why are you loosing the colt? And they pulled this Jedi mind trick, verse 34. And they said, the Lord has need of them. And they took them. Stop right there, eyes up here. Jesus now rolls into the outskirts, the outlying cities of Jerusalem. Bethany and Bethpage, on the Mount of Olivet, and he sees the city. I need you to understand, this is a big showdown. This is it. This is the day, his day that had been foretold thousands of years earlier. And now he shows up. Not everyone knew what was going on. We do now that we study it in hindsight. And as he showed up, he stopped and he surveyed the scene. As a matter of fact, we've got a picture here of, of Jerusalem. You could put it up there. I just want you to kind of see what Jesus would have seen. Not that one, the other one. Uh, There's two, that one, because I want to see the other one in a second. The Dome of the Rock Mosque there in the middle wasn't what Jesus was looking at. As a matter of fact, the entirety of the the temple mount, I'll just point to it, is right here. And there would have been a huge temple constructed right here, probably going up about this high. This over here is the southern steps. If you're on my other side, there's the southern steps right there, and there would be a temple here. Over here is the eastern gate. Jesus is going to ride down the Kidron Valley and enter in through the eastern gate. You'll notice now that the eastern gate is sealed shut with rebar, concrete. There's no getting through, no getting in and out to this day. This was done in 1541 by the Sultan Suleiman. I got his name written down. This guy was crazy. The Ottoman Sultan Suleiman the Magnificent in 1541. A Muslim Turkish leader who read in the book of Ezekiel and Ezra that the Messiah would ride through on a donkey through this gate. Now, in those days, the Jews were saying, yeah, we're still waiting for that to happen. We who are believers are like, that already happened. He already did. And so he sealed the gate wanting to dissuade any Jews from revolting and saying, we're preparing the way. Which, by the way, in 2019, is it 2019 yet? 2018. Sorry, I'm getting aggressive. 2018, there are still Jews waiting for the Messiah to come through the eastern gate on a donkey. Jesus is going to say in a few minutes, guys. Guys. Did you see what just happened? I just did it. He's going to say, but your eyes are blinded from these things. There were those, and there are some who see, okay? Gentiles specifically, and Jews in minority. But there will be one day. The Bible actually declares in the same book of Ezekiel that this gate, this is so funny, when Solomon, Ottoman, the sultan, The Magnificent. When he sealed the gate, the very next verse says, and the gate will be sealed. I'm just so thankful he didn't read the next verse. (laughs) He fulfilled prophecy without knowing it. He should have left it open. It one day will be open. Over here on the left by the tree is the southern steps that still remain. I've preached Bible studies on those southern steps leading up to where this would be the entrance into the temple gate. And this is what Jesus would see. Let's back that other picture up. It's going to zoom out a little bit. Different day, different lens. And you'll see right down here, these are all uh, catacombs or... Uh, tombs where Jewish men and women have been buried. There are about 18,000, maybe upwards of 40,000. They haven't been able to identify them all. Buried on the outskirts. This is on the Mount of Olives in between the Kidron Valley leading up to the Eastern Gate. You'll notice all of them are facing the same way. All of them are head here and feet here, in order that their feet would be facing Jerusalem. So upon the day of the resurrection, they would all rise up and walk right in. Nobody wants to be facing the wrong way and look this way and have to turn around. I kid you not. I don't want to have to turn around. I mean, Jewish people are very smart. They invent stuff they got stuff down And so they they want to be buried this way. Over here, where the eastern gate is, these are all Muslim graves. They've been there for many, many years, hundreds and hundreds of years. And Suleiman, Ottoman, the Sultan, the Magnificent, began burying Muslim bodies there. Not like this in boxes, but just everywhere, knowing that the Messiah would not be able to walk through the eastern gate if he came in contact with dead bodies. And so they went ahead, and if the rebar and concrete wasn't enough, let's put some dead bodies here. So this is... Similar to what Jesus would have seen, minus the bodies here in this eastern gate would have been open and there would have been a huge temple there. You can go ahead and take the photos down. Now Jesus here is setting everything up. And I don't really have a huge point in this, but I'll say it. In Jesus' ministry, he was sovereign completely. He redeemed everything. A lot of organic things happened. People showing up screaming at him. People things happen, and people needing to be healed. Never do we see, though, even though it was happening behind the scenes, never do we see Jesus orchestrating an event like this, where he shows up. Okay, guys, here's what we're going to do now. I want you to go into the neighboring village opposite you. I want you to find a colt. It's a baby donkey. Okay, it's next to its mom. And I want you to untie it. Now, if anybody asks you, what are you doing? Now, why did Jesus say that? because he knew they were going to ask him. So if anybody asks you what you're doing, say the Lord has need of it, and bring that donkey back here, and I'm going to ride it in. This is very contrived and orchestrated. Jesus is making sure this happens perfectly. I just want you to understand the intensity of this, because it had to happen this way to do two things, to fulfill scriptures. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, says that out of of this area, and in this time, the Messiah would ride on the back of a donkey, the foal of a donkey, a baby donkey. This would happen this way, and so Jesus orchestrated it that way, and I've got some thoughts. I already read to you verses 30 through 34, where Jesus instructs the disciples in what they're to do about this. Now, let me just ask you a question. Wouldn't it have been fun to be a disciple? Just so fun, like you really don't know what's going on ever. You're always in trouble. You know, you're always saying st- stupid stuff. You're always looking at Jesus like, I really... I love this guy, but man, I have no idea what's going on. And so you get here to Beth, Page, and Bethany, and Jesus is like, I need two volunteers. And you're like, not it, not it, like, not it, not it. And on the last two guys, you're like, ah, what? He's like, I want you to go opposite of where we're at. Like, we were just, come on, man. And oftentimes in our life, in obedience to the Lord, in our lives, he'll, the first thing He'll call us to do is maybe something different than you're doing. When you really surrender as a disciple, oftentimes, sometimes, he'll allow you to keep doing what you're doing, but maybe do it differently. The apostle Paul, before he became Paul, was on his way to Damascus to kill Christians. That's not a good thing. Once he became a Christian, he was still allowed to go into Damascus and then preach Christ. He went to the same place, just differently. God might allow you this morning to do the exact same thing you're doing. He might say, yeah, I love what you're doing. Little adjustment, though. you got to change that. Keep doing what you're doing. you got to fix it. There may be somebody here. The Lord's looking at you going, want to volunteer for a project? It's completely opposite of what you're doing. <laughs> you know, it's completely over here. I'm going to change everything. And he tells them here in verse 30, go into the village opposite you. I need two volunteers. Go get me a donkey. In my notes here, I put go steal me a donkey, but I don't want anybody to get the wrong impression. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, Jesus stole cars. No, you know.
1: <laughs> in those
0: days, a donkey or horse that was available in that way could be used for, for, a, for a service, Okay. It was, it was normal. They weren't just stealing it. But I want you to just pay attention to a couple things. Okay, from verses 30 through 32, there are what I would call five basic principles to following the Lord. Okay, I'm just going to rip through these. Number one, the principle of progressive revelation. Okay, that is God will give you enough to do until he gives you more to do. He will tell you to do one thing well before he tells you to do another thing additionally. That's how he works. He won't tell you everything that's going on in your life, in your business, your relationships, your your ministry. He's not going to give it all to you. You'd freak out. Two things would happen. You would either expedite what he showed you he's going to do, you'd you'd jump the gun, or you'd peel and go to Jamaica. I'm out of here. You know, like you would see the future and say, I'm leaving. But instead, he says, No, I just want you to do this one thing. And if you're honest, you'll look back at your life and say, that's actually what's been going on. I say yes to one thing and I do it well and I. I finally learn, and I get there, and then, then holy, holy cow, I can't believe it. It led to this thing, and then it led to this thing. He tells them first, go into the opposite village of you. Okay, and then what's going to happen? Well, then you're going to see a donkey. Okay, okay, and then what's going to and, and he tells them one step at a time, and my simple application for you is what has God asked you to do? Do that. I talk to people from time to time that say, God hasn't talked to me. God doesn't speak to me. I don't know what to do, and I usually kind of just say, well, have you avoided doing what he told you to do last time? Because he rarely gives new assignments or new words or new direction if you haven't yet been faithful with the old direction. Progressive revelation, God does this. You'll also see in these texts here that God's always, this is so fun, God's always working on both ends. When God directs your life, he is going to go ahead of you and make sure that the provision and the connection has already been made. He works on both. How many of you guys, don't raise your hand, how many of you guys are afraid of the future? Like you're going to blow it, you don't know what to do. God knows what's going on. He's working right now on the other end with the people that matter most in your life. If you're single, he's working on your spouse, okay? If you're married, he's working on your marriage counselor, okay? Just kidding. <laughs> no. if, whatever the case is, he's working. If you're homeless, jobless, if you're unemployed, if you're trans, here if we want uncertainty, because you don't know the other end. These guys could have walked into this village going, okay, okay, we're going to grab this donkey and run. <laughs> like, no, don't, do, don't grab the donkey and run. Undo the donkey, see what happens. And everything was handled. I've learned this, I've seen this, I trust in this. I remember when God uh, 10 years ago, uh, in, or 8 years ago, 2010, told my wife and I to move to Newport. And it was so clear, it was crystal clear. It was, had we done anything else, even wholly, it would have been Disobedience. And so we made plans to move here, and yet we didn't know how that was going to work. And so I, I called Matt Harner at the time, who was the pastor of the church, and I said, I haven't talked to you in four years. We should talk. I, I just want to talk. And so I met him at the Green Gable Cafe, and I said, how's the church? How's South Beach Christian Fellowship doing? And he began to tell me the story and how it was going up and down and things had changed, and now it's very difficult. And after about an hour and a half answer, he's a pastor. He can talk, you know. And, and so his final words were, I just need help. I need help. I need someone to step up and help me. And I, at that point, said, I think God wants me to come help. And, and we felt the Holy Spirit there at the Green Gable. We both began to cry. He was crying on a Caesar salad right there, and I was crying in my soup. And, and we were just felt, a, and it was Saturday night, and I said, I think God wants me to move to Newport and help. And he said, do you want to teach tomorrow morning, tomorrow Sunday? Do you want to teach? And I said, no, I just want to go check it out. And,
1: and I remember, and then a
0: couple weeks later, I was talking to him, and he said, you know what's interesting? is Jenna, Jenna, his wife then, his wife said two weeks earlier, two weeks earlier, she said, you know what we need here at South Beach Christian Fellowship? And she literally said this, we need like Luke and Crystal Frechette to move from Ashland and come back and help us. And when she, it was funny, because when she said that, Matt's like, oh, perfect, and if they're not available, we'll just call Billy Graham, see what he's, you know? like like, <laughs> good idea, you know? And the Lord was working on both ends. You can leave here, this morning in fear if you want to i'd do it i'd find myself waking up uncertain of the future (gasps) or i can say you know what god knows the future and god is good and god has been faithful and even if it gets a little wonky at times and i gotta steal a donkey at times that was unintentional but that worked that worked Next thing I would say is this third principle. The first one is progressive revelation. The second one is he's working on both ends. The third one is this. Everything matters. There's no little tasks for the kingdom of God. Can you imagine arguing with Jesus at this point? He says, go get a donkey and you need to ride in. Like, dude, we walk like 70 miles here. Like, you're tired now? (laughs) Like, there's less than two miles. Why can't you? That doesn't make sense. Have you ever pushed back on the Lord when something doesn't make sense to you? You're like, that's just what do you? This doesn't make sense. This is so little and small. And I have learned to hear God's voice in my heart when he says, do this, text them, don't answer that, don't go there, turn right, turn left, go back to bed, get up early. I have learned to say, I don't know why, but I'm going to obey because there's no little thing in the kingdom of God. A matter of fact, throughout the scriptures, the littlest things in the kingdom of God are the biggest things, okay, the biggest things. God chose to have his son born in Bethlehem. Oh, Bethlehem of Ephrathah, so small God chose to use five loaves and two fish. He chose to use small things. Maybe right now, even in your life, you're looking at your situation saying, my prayer life doesn't really matter, my devotional life, my service, my giving, my tithe and offering, they'll be fine with that. I don't really need to do anything. It's so small. They're, listen, principle number three, everything matters. There's no little tasks in the kingdom of God. Don't argue with the Lord. What does he want to do in your life? Number four, God has chosen to partner with us. Quote, unquote, he needs your stuff. Okay, I've been saying this for a while now. God has chosen in the business of His kingdom to supply us with what He has in order to, like we heard in the video, give it to our fellow man and give it back. I love the answer. When you're challenged, why are you taking my donkey? Uh, the Lord has need of it. Just think about that. Talk about it in your life groups. The Lord needs a donkey. Now, the Lord is sovereign, pretty big. You know, He can flex, and like moons and planets erupt out of His, you know, word. Like, He's like oh I need a donkey though That's crazy town That's crazy town God wants to on purpose use your gifts Your days, your time, talent, and treasure He'll give it to you in order that you can give it back to him In one way, shape, or another This is where life gets fun And the Bible tells you and me That if you try and outgive God He'll win He'll win Malachi chapter 4 He's like want to wrestle you give, you give something away And I'll give you more than you gave away try it and do it i dare you i dare you as a matter of fact in the scriptures we see jesus the son of god the son of man coming into life and from the very beginning he needs things okay they needed a place to stay jojo and mary his parents and there was nowhere for them so they stayed in a manger they're in a stable and they borrowed the animal's trough from the very beginning. As Jesus continued to live his life, one day he's preaching a sermon. Hey, Peter, can I use your boat? I'd like to stand in your boat and preach. It's not working this way. Can I, can I have your boat? I think the Lord would love to have all your boats, you fishermen. You know, like, hey, <laughs> give him your boat, Lord. I remember one time this guy, he might be here. I can't, I can't remember. He brought his boat over here and wanted me to pray for it and to ask God's blessing on it because he's going halibut fishing, you know. And when I prayed for that and sent him halibut fishing, guess what I got out of the deal? halibut. Exactly, exactly. I love praying for boats. It's the best. Man, I'll pray for your, your vacation rentals in Hawaii. <laughs> oh, it's getting weird. It's getting weird. Here's the question, though, principle number four. God has chosen to partner with us. This is, you can miss it, or you can, you can get pumped, okay? Number two questions. What has God given you, and, and what Of yours does he want to use it's time for sure we all got 24 hours invest it in others it's talent you're all given different abilities and it's treasure we all have different monetary possessions number five and we're going to keep moving on but this is so important Fifth, fifth principle we see in here is that obedience is required to see the hand of god working in your life look at verse 32 so those who were sent went and they found it just as it was said to them. Okay, this is this, it's the same principle scene. God's working on both ends, and God needs your stuff. And when you step out on the water, God will provide miracles. When you do it, when you decide in the fall, or no, that's not true because fall's over. When you decide in the uh, winter or spring or January, it's called January. When you decide next year, honey, let's do a life group. Let's do it. I feel like we should do a life group. We have a house. We have couches. We even have a table. Wouldn't it be A tragedy. If you had a house with couches and a table and never invited people to sit on them, it was just for you, wouldn't that be a tragedy? But instead you said, you know what I'm gonna do? We're gonna do a life group. We can't have everybody here because we have a small house, but we're gonna invite two other couples, those two and us two and whatever. We're gonna, we're gonna do it. And if you do that, obedience allows you to see God's faithfulness and his miracles. They were sent, so they went. The, the principles of God are, are myriad. There's, a, there's a numerous, so many of them for you and I to listen to and say, what does God want from me? Some people say to me, I don't see God working in my life. And I would ask the question, have you been obedient to the things that he sent you to do? Now, in verse 31, Jesus told them what to do when things became challenging. Look at verse 31. I want you to see this. We're going to keep getting through as much of this as we can. Verse 31, this is before they got in trouble. And if anyone asks you why you are loosing the coat colt, thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. Again, I freak out on this stuff because God controls the universe, and he could have done things differently. He could have blinded that colt owner. He could have put them inside, you know, making their espresso. They don't even see what's going on. But instead, he knew what was going to happen and instructed them. Listen, this is so important. How to respond when they were challenged and opposed to walking for God. It's very simple. Not a big deal. Oh, the Lord has need of it. This is not the drones you're looking for. You know, oh, yeah, go ahead and take my donkey. I thought that was a great idea anyways. God totally was in control of the opposition that came at them. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you guys like trials, opposition, difficulty, fiery events in your life, setbacks, frustration? I said don't raise your hand because you wouldn't raise your hand. If you did raise your hand, we're going to pray for you. Nobody likes that. We don't like it. As a matter of fact, here is a question, and this is important. How many of you are still surprised when things get difficult in your life and you're tested? Don't be surprised, okay? Okay. I don't like it. I don't actually volunteer for trials. Anybody volunteer for trials? You don't need to volunteer for trials. They've already been prepackaged. They're in the mail. They're on the way to your house. You don't have to go shopping for them. I'm serious. For the rest of your life, they've already been. It's like cyber from heaven to earth to you. They're on the way. You don't need to go looking for them. Here's the point, though. Jesus said that we would get tested and have troubles, John 16. Paul said that we'd have challenges and difficulties, Romans 5. Peter said we'd have fiery trials, 1 Peter 1. James said we'd have various trials, James 1. Jude, Jesus' little brother, he only gets one chapter, but it's in chapter 1. In chapter 1, Jude said that we would have to contend for the faith. Trials, contending, difficulties. Uh, here's, here's my point. I wish I could give you a stick, a magic stick, that you could take with you leaving here today and wave it in front of all your trials and difficulties and they'd disappear. It won't happen. But here's what I can give to you. I can give to you God's word because he has instructed us what to do when things get difficult. Look at verse 31 again. If anyone asks you why you're losing it, thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. Did you know that God's word has equipped you and me for every single trial we're in? Okay, The Bible calls it a sword. The Bible calls our faith a shield. You and I are ready to go. The more time you spend in God's word, God's presence, you'll be able to navigate through the difficulties of life. Again, there's no magic stick. There's no magic umbrella to keep you from storms. Okay, you're not going to hear that message here. Some other church might tell you things are going to get easier for you. I'm going to tell you the truth. It's not going okay? to get easier. It's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. And yet Jesus is going to be with you. Now look what happens next. First, verse 33, as they were loosing the cult, the owner said, what are you doing? Verse 35, then they brought him to Jesus, that is the donkey, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they sat Jesus on him. Okay, this is an amazing scene. They take off their own jackets to make it comfortable for Jesus to create a saddle for him. They're uh, exercising reverence and devotion and humility. And yet, let's be honest, Jesus also is demonstrating humility, I'm getting on this donkey. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. If you were going to ride into Jerusalem victorious, your, your king has come, would you go like maybe a, a horse, maybe just a horse? You ever seen a full-grown man on a donkey? Like your feet drag. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's, it's, okay, humility. Both people are demonstrating humility at this point. I would also say, and I've mentioned this already, that in order for Jesus to get on this donkey right, they had to take off their jackets and serve him in that way, okay? They had to give him what they had in order to advance the kingdom of God. This is simple, and I say that to you from your, my pastor's heart to you. My family and I, we love to give, okay? We give 10% of everything that comes into our house to the ministry, not just this ministry, but to Kids International, to all over the place, we give, okay? This is something my parents taught me as a young person. I want you to be a giver. Jesus needs to get on the horse. I got a jacket right here you could sit on. It's pretty awesome. You could have what I have. The scene gets even more bizarre. Look at verse 36. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Now, everybody's getting involved. And I could preach a whole sermon on the cathartic reality of when you give and serve, other people are allowed to do the same. You've seen this happen before? You had a worship service, and everyone's all stoic and weird and doesn't want to get involved. And all of a sudden, somebody just kind of like gets involved. Their hands go up. They're worshiping in this way. Oh, that's cool. I could, raise, I could raise my hand. How many? Don't raise your hands. But how many of you don't raise your hands? <laughs> just kidding. You didn't raise, you know, like. You know, there's some people that don't raise their hands still in church I get it, there's no rules that you have to raise your hands you know? but I find when I'm raising my hands it's just one more way to force myself to get involved in worship, just one more way to participate and one more way just to, to do this, these guys were seeing others take jackets off, they're like I like that, let's make a whole row here in this portion will be where they were taking palm branches. This is Palm Sunday. Yeah, this is Palm Sunday. I'm going to preach this message again in March. It's coming up again. I'm just going to pull the notes out and go right through this again. But here's, the, here's where the scene gets bizarre. I'm not sure that if, if, if you were writing this, this is how you would do it. Oh, I know it's not how I would do it. You're writing in to save the world. How are you going to roll in? Okay, he chooses the donkey. What would you choose? You're rolling in on a Mercedes. How many Mercedes Benz? Raise your hands Mercedes Benz or stretch limo. Stretch limo. Okay, what about the F-16 flyover? You guys like that in Parade? That's the best part. Like, like, whoa, you know. That's what I would have done. I would have done something like that. This would be similar to the President of the United States showing up to his inauguration party, driving himself in a 1990s Ford Taurus with, like, two-tone. Like, whoa, you know, like, I'm late, you know, like. I don't know, man, that's weird. That's weird. He did this again to demonstrate humility and to fulfill prophecy okay he is demonstrating humility did you know that in mark ten forty-five, jesus this is crazy i need you guys to get this this is the holistic view of our king who's coming and when he showed up the first time he showed up in humility to fulfill prophecy listen when he shows up the second time okay he will show up in victory to fulfill prophecy he showed up here fulfilling what the book said would happen in all humility serving those who had rejected him the bible says the son of man came to serve and not be served and to give his life a ransom for many that he lays his life down nobody takes it from him that he is that sacrifice the lamb that takes away the sins of the whole world and he fulfilled that perfectly with humility the prophecy but the bible declares to you and me he will return again not on a donkey He will return on a white horse to fulfill prophecy. This is where Jesus' truth and grace, he's the perfect king, wooing his subjects, calling people out to him. Zechariah 9.9 9 says this, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus did this. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming. He is just and having salvation. Lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus did that lowly. And I say this again. If Jesus was able to fulfill this prophecy in Zechariah 9, guess what? You can count on him being able to fulfill the next one in Revelation 21. This is what Revelation 19 says. Now I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a white robe, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed fine, with fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. That's you and me. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. That with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. Verse 16. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This will happen. This is how he bids you and I to stay faithful with our minas. One day the sky will crack open and the king will return victorious. Not on a donkey, but on a white horse. And he will come and he will establish his kingdom. I wanted to get further than I'm going to get, but I'm going to get as far as I can get. So look at verse 37. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice And praise God with a loud voice for all of the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Stop right there, eyes up here. The response of this scene, Jesus fulfilling prophecy, Jesus demonstrating humility, Jesus controlling everything, caused them to worship Lord, Hosanna, save now. They went bonkers, the Bible says here, in loud voices, with exuberance they worshipped. Now again, everyone here is allowed to worship your own way. Okay, I get it. But you must worship. Do you understand? If you do not worship, okay, Jesus has words for you. You must worship. Why should you worship? He is your king and he has done. They reacted this way. Notice, by the way, I don't have time to develop this, but they added scripture into their quotation here. They they quote Psalm 118, and that allows them to praise. If you want to be a better worshiper, get into the book, okay? Read more Bible, learn who Jesus is, you'll worship. It'll just happen automatically. Some of my greatest times of worship are not at a service with songs, but are when I'm reading the Bible, I'm like, no way, and my heart is devoted to the Lord, and I'm worshiping. They quote Psalm 118, and they worship him. Look how this ends, though. I'm going to do two verses, and we're going to worship. We're going to take communion, and the service will be over. And some of the Pharisees, verse 39, called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. There were people then that told the worshipers to stop worshiping. And Jesus responds this way. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. I'm actually not sure what that even means. I think what Jesus is saying is, is like these are choosing to worship me. But guess what, friends? One day there will be no choice, okay? All of creation, even the rocks are gonna cry out. You can make a choice today to be on my team, or you can make the wrong choice and be against me. You have a choice, friend, today to bow the knee at Jesus Christ, who fulfilled prophecy perfectly, unlike any other, and demonstrated humility greater than any other. And he demands and commands that you make a choice. Worship me. There is some, there's something perverse in every one of us. Listen, this is important. That doesn't want to worship and doesn't even like it when others worship. Something weird. Did you know that these guys were actually religious leaders? They, like, they, they above all else should have seen what was going on. And they they totally missed it. There are people, maybe even here, that you've missed it. You don't want to worship. You need to cry out to the Lord and say, can I see what they saw? Why were some worshiping and some not? What's the deal here? I want to be a worshiper. I want to respond to a king who's willing to come in on a donkey and fulfill prophecy. What's going to happen when he gets into Jerusalem? Okay, the very next verse says that Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. I wanted to get that far. We're going to study it next week. Jesus is going to the cross. He's going to die. I'm going to have the worship team come up right now, and they're going to lead us in a closing song. Jesus did what he did then so you and I could be set free today. And today's a decision for you. Simply this, to say yes to Jesus and to bow the knee and worship him. We're going to take communion as a family. And it is for believers, for those who have put their trust in Jesus, who have said, yes, Lord, forgive me of my sins, cleanse me, and make my life, Lord, honorable to you and make it count. If you haven't made that decision yet today, honestly, there's free will flowing. Do not shake the fist at him. And you might say, I'm not shaking my fist at anybody. I just don't want to do it. That's the same thing. And yet his love has been poured out. He did what he did for you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Father, in Jesus' name. We, we just repent. All of us collectively, every single person here. If you're honest, and it doesn't take me too much introspection to get there, but if you're honest, like me, you've failed. You have failed miserably. You have not been perfect. You have been very imperfect. There are even days and thoughts that have gone through your mind that are evil, downright embarrassing. You've, you've done this, so have I. And Jesus lived his life perfectly and fulfilled scripture impeccably. And instead of coming in on an F 16 or a stretch limo, he said, I, I, I'm going to go so low because the people I'm saving, they just can't do it. They can't do it. So I'm going to do it for them, I'm going to save their souls. And if you've been saved, rejoice in that today. He loves you. He saved you. You're, you're, you're still, sorry to say it, you're still imperfect. You're still a sinner, but you are saved. If you've not turned your heart over to Jesus yet, if you have not opened up your life, and you may have a level of sophistication or a, an alibi, and yet when Jesus returns, he's going to look you in the eye He's going to look at you with love. And he's going to demand that there be a relationship established in order for you to continue in the kingdom. And it's as simple as you surrendering to Jesus this morning. I'm going to make it so simple between you and him that you would confess with the raising of a hand that I want Jesus to be my king, that I believe in him. That what he did was enough for me, that I am indeed a sinner and, and he is a savior. And, and I confess my sins and I receive his salvation. And, I, and, I'm, and I, if you haven't done that yet, this is of the utmost of importance for everything to make sense for the rest of your life. For those five principles we talked about. For God to work on both ends for you. For God to progressively reveal what his purpose is for you. For there to be handiwork and there to be evidences of miracles in your life. you got to surrender to him. So would you right now, I'm not looking because it's between you and him. Would you raise your hand to Jesus Christ right now by way of submission and acceptance? Submit your life to him and accept his life for yours. Do that right now. Do not wait. Do it if you've not done it. Do not be prideful. Do not be stubborn. Please do not be scared. You're a church. Raise your hand and be saved in Jesus' name right now. Holy Spirit, would you save during this song? Save people in Jesus' name. Minister to hearts as hands go up. Do this in Jesus' name right now. Give your life to him. He got on the back of a donkey for you. He rode it into Jerusalem amidst naysayers and haters for you. Lord, I thank you for the hands that went up, for the people who gave their lives, so you can put your hands down. You have now reached out to Jesus. He reached out to you first. It's what he does. And he has softened your heart and convinced you of his greatness. Father, in Jesus' name, as we come to the table now and enjoy communion, may it, Lord, uh, may it ruminate Lord in our minds and reverberate in our lives may it do for us and in us Lord what it was meant to do establishing our relationship with you in order that we could live on earth for others we do what we do now examining ourselves proclaiming your death until you return in Jesus name amen